good evening, friends, brothers and sisters. Let's put it that way. It is a joy to be able to open God's Word with you this evening. That's the first time here at 6.30 for me, so I'm excited. I hope you're excited. Uh, Before we get into it, though, why don't we pray that God would speak? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Word, for the privilege it is to open it together. And so we pray tonight that you would challenge us, you would rebuke us, you would comfort us, and grow us for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, what is it that you listen to? To which voices do you lend your ear? To which voices do you ascribe power, authority, and influence? Which voices do you believe? These, I think, are increasingly important questions in our world as more and more voices become increasingly accessible to us. Our friends, our family, our co-workers, TV shows, movies, media, our social networks that fill our feeds with words on Facebook, on Instagram, allegedly on TikTok. I don't understand TikTok, but that's a thing that kids are into, I hear. Even our own voices, that whispering in our ears, the desires of our heart that we may not even be willing to voice out loud. We live in a world full of voices trying to tell us what to value, what is good and right, what to do, think and believe. And as we come to today's passage, I think we see Jesus dealing with this kind of issue. He's dealing with these priests and scribes who have listened to the wrong voices. They've listened to their own instead of listening to God's. And as we see across this section and in the interactions, Jesus has for them a stern warning. And I think if we look closely for us, words of deep comfort. And my prayer for us as we look at this together is that it will help us to see the dangers of listening to other voices while also reminding us of God's incredible grace and pursuing love. Uh, So we're going to get into it. The first up, we have the question of authority, or perhaps more simply, why should we listen to you? Uh, If you remember last week, a bit of a recap, we saw there Jesus' growing conflict with the religious leaders of the day. Uh, He'd gone into the temple, he overturned tables and chairs, he kicked people out of the temple because they were turning what should have been a house of prayer for the nations into a den of thieves. He affirmed the words of small children who were calling him the son of David, the Messiah, even as those very religious leaders complained to him about it. And in case we hadn't figured out what he was saying yet, He cursed the fig tree as a kind of object lesson. Israel had become unfruitful, full of empty words, and that is not okay. And now, obviously, after all of this, the religious leaders, they're not happy. They're upset. Jesus is causing trouble. He's messing with their system. He's threatening their authority and power. It's been this growing conflict all throughout Matthew's gospel, and so they're getting sick of it. They turn up to Jesus, and they throw down the gauntlet. There in verse 23, when he entered the temple, that's Jesus, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? 
why should we listen to you, is their question. It's the the 9 out of 10 dentists recommend clinically tested Wikipedia source, what does the Minister of Health think kind of question that we keep asking when we want to be sure that what we're told is true. And at this point, there's heaps of things that Jesus could say, right? He could quote the Old Testament to them. He could show that he is the long-awaited Christ who will save God's people from their sins. He could point to his genealogy, his family tree, show that he is a descendant of David, that he is the son of David that God had promised would be king over his people forever. Perhaps he could perform some miracle. He could do something incredible, a demonstration of his power as God the Son, that creation itself would bend to his will. But instead, in typical Jesus fashion... He doesn't do any of these things. He responds with a question. Where did John's baptism come from? In a sense, he's asking back, was John worth listening to? You might remember John the Baptist, I hope you do, out in the wilderness at the beginning of the gospel. He was the one preparing the way for the Lord as crowds came to him to be baptized. It was John who called out these religious leaders for their fruitlessness and hypocrisy. This is the John that Jesus said, among those born of women, none are greater than John the Baptist. He is the Elijah who is to come. This John who Herod arrested for rebuking his sin and beheaded at the request of his wife. This John who had said of Jesus, he is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. Is this John worth listening to, Jesus asks. And if you look down at verse 25, you see how the religious leaders respond. They start bickering among themselves. They say, yeah, on the one hand, if we say, yes, his baptism is from heaven, he was worth listening to, we're stuffed. Because then Jesus will say, why didn't we believe him about Jesus? But on the other hand, if they say, oh no, he wasn't worth listening to, had nothing godly to say, oh, they're stuffed again. Because the crowds here all knew he was a prophet. Notice that not for one moment do these leaders consider what is true. They only consider their own desires. For them, public opinion reigns over any regard for truth. They're listening to the voices of their own heads and hearts, listening to the voices from each other's mouths, voices that say, we're more scared of men than we are of God. We care more about what everyone thinks about us than about what God has revealed. And so they give the only answer they can to save their own skin despite having all the information to affirm the truth of John's testimony, despite Jesus standing there in front and knowing that he is well worth listening to, all they can say is, we don't know. And so Jesus won't answer their question since they won't answer his. All along, he knows that they have realized for themselves the truth in their own deliberation. And this question why should we listen to you, I think is one we can often find ourselves asking. Why should we listen to Jesus? 
Everything in our world disagrees with him. Everything in our own hearts disagrees with him. As we listen to Jesus, we see our sin, we see our need for salvation. We hear the right way to live in God's world and often we just find ourselves asking, why should I listen to you? We get scared of those around us, concerned for our own power and autonomy, our own enjoyment and our view of freedom. But friends, we can't fall into those traps. And in the next two parables that we're about to see, as Jesus teases out what's really going on, and in a way does actually, I think, answer their question, we're going to see just how important it is for us to turn our ears to the words of Jesus. So his first parable there from verse 27, right and wrong listening, I've called it. Jesus, he's not done with these religious leaders. He's called them out. They've backed themselves into a corner. They've realized we should have listened to John. We should be listening to Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus takes the opportunity to just twist that knife a little, to show them both their error and what they are missing out on. A little story that shows right and wrong listening. And the parable there, it's pretty straightforward, I think, isn't it? Uh, Dad's got a vineyard. It might look something like that. He's got heaps of grapes. Work needs to be done. There's planting, there's watering, there's harvesting, maybe a broken fence. Who knows? He goes to his son and asks him to help out today. And I can't help but think that this is a teenage son. I know this is how I would have replied. Straight away, he says, I don't want to. I'm fine, Dad. I'll just sit here. And yet a little later, that same son, he changes his mind, thinks, yeah, I really should go help Dad. And so he does. He goes and he gets to work. Meanwhile, Dad's gone to the other son. He said the same thing, invited him to come work. Typical youngest son as I am. Goody two-shoes says, yes, sir, I'm on it. I'll do that. And then just sits there on his phone all afternoon. It's a story that I'm sure many of us can relate to. Uh, When we've been asked maybe to tidy our room, to wash the dishes or clean the bathroom, we've all been one of these sons, I'm sure. And Jesus asked them a very simple question. Which of these two did his father's will? And at this point, hearing the story, knowing it's more than just a story, the religious leaders are probably feeling pretty good about themselves. They're looking around this temple complex at all of these sinners bringing their sacrifices. They know that they stick to the letter of the law. Who's the one doing the Father's, doing God's will? Well, it's them, of course, they'd be thinking. They don't remember saying they wouldn't like this son in the story, but they definitely do it now. And yet, in Jesus' reply, the truth is revealed. That knife is twisted And their hypocrisy, their inability to listen rightly is brought to the fore. As they say, yes, the first son is the one who did the Father's will. Jesus replies, I assure you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds then and believe him. You're not the first son, Jesus tells them. You're the second. 
your words, O religious leaders, say, yes, 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 we will do your will, God. We fulfill the law. We're the good ones. And yet their works show otherwise. And what is their greatest failing that Jesus calls them out for? They didn't believe John. The one thing that God had always asked of his people, that they listen to him, believe him and trust him, these priests and elders have failed to do when they rejected God's prophet, John. It was the tax collectors and the prostitutes, these sinners, the ones that the leaders looked down on, the ones trapped in their sin, they did believe. They obeyed God's greatest commandment and they will inherit the kingdom of God. And as Jesus makes it very clear where these wicked religious leaders stand, it raises a question for us, doesn't it? Which of the sons are we? Are we following in the footsteps of the priests and the scribes and saying yes, yes to God with our mouths and then denying his authority with our lives? Are we in danger of claiming the title of Christian while failing to do the very thing that that title entails, listening to and believing in Jesus? Don't be caught on the outside of the kingdom, friends. Don't see Jesus and disbelieve. Join the tax collectors and sinners. Listen to Jesus. Believe and be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And then finally, Jesus gives one more parable. The greatest twist of that knife as the true evil of these religious leaders is revealed and Jesus shows them to be the worst possible listeners Indeed, they are murderers. Again, this parable, another story is pretty straightforward. There's a landowner, he's bought an investment property, a nice little vineyard, probably looks different to the first, but I only have one picture. And he sets it up in all the right ways to succeed. He plants grapevines, he protects them from robbers and animals with a fence, he digs a wine press ready to turn the raw produce into something he can sell And he builds a watchtower to keep eyes over this whole vineyard. And then, perhaps off on some other business venture, he hands it over, leases it out to some pros to grow his business. But when harvest comes, he sends some of his slaves to reap his profits, and the unimaginable is done. The farmers beat one, kill one, and stone another. Rather than give the vineyard owner the honor he is due, they kill the ones he has sent. But notice the owner, he isn't put off. This is his vineyard. He planted it. He set it up for success. He's entitled to its fruit. And so he sends another group of workers, a larger group, to get what he is owed. And the farmers do the same again. Beating, killing, stoning. And so the owner, not willing to abandon his vineyard, he decides to send his son. They will respect my son, he said, but they don't. In the son, instead of someone to honor, they see a chance for them to claim the vineyard for themselves, to take him out, leave the owner heirless and claim that inheritance for themselves. They throw him out of the vineyard and they kill him. And again, at the conclusion of the story, Jesus asks the obvious question, what's the owner going to do when he turns up? 
at this time, I think those priests and scribes, they know exactly what's going on. These two vineyard stories would be ringing bells all through their minds from throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Just one example, back in Isaiah chapter 5, there is a song about a vineyard. It goes like this from verse 1. I won't sing it because uh, there's no melody. Uh, I will sing about the one I love. And we heard Phil sing the other week, and that was enough, wasn't it? I will sing about the one I love. It was beautiful. I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? He expected it to yield good grapes, but it yielded worthless grapes. Then down in verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He looked for justice but saw injustice, for righteousness but heard cries of wretchedness. It was a song of mourning the fruitless vineyard that Israel had become. So when Jesus starts this parable, his hearers who know their Old Testament, they know this vineyard. This is God's vineyard. God is the owner. God is the one who planted it up, who set it up for success. And this vineyard is Israel. It's God's people in God's place. But this time, it's not the vineyard that's unfruitful. It is the farmers who are wicked and evil. It is those that the owner that God had put in charge, it's them, the religious leaders, listening. And in one little story, Jesus has shown them exactly what they have done. Who are the slaves that the owner sent? Well, it's the prophets throughout history, isn't it? All through the history of God's people, he had sent prophets to remind them of who they ought to be, of who he is as their loving and gracious and just and jealous God. And repeatedly, as they came to turn God's people back to him, they were rejected, despised, ignored. And now, as the harvest comes near, God has sent his son, the man standing before them, Jesus. And what are they going to do? They're going to take him out of the vineyard and kill him. They've rejected his words, his right authority, his ownership over the vineyard, and they've claimed it for themselves for their own power, their own benefit, their own glory. And so what's going to happen, Jesus asks? Well, they give the only possible response. He will completely destroy those terrible men, they told him, and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him his produce at the harvest. So Jesus affirms that, points out, the stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing its fruit. The words hit hard. They knew that he was speaking about them. And yet rather than repent, rather than turn away from their misdeeds, they plan to arrest him. Though for now they're still scared of those crowds. Not only have they listened so poorly to God throughout the generations, they can't even listen now as God himself stands before them in the flesh. They hear the warning against them and decide to do the very thing they've been warned against. It's like when someone says to you, don't think of pink elephants. 
and everyone just, you think of pink elephants. You can't, you see a don't touch wet paint sign and all you want to do is reach out and test if it's true. Except rather than being some silly mental trick, rather than just some off-coloured fingertips, this is an issue of deep intellectual, spiritual and moral significance. For these religious leaders, their failure to listen to God was to be their downfall. And it's a very real danger for us as well. Like those farmers, we can all too easily take the good things God has given us to steward and claim them for ourselves. Too easily we can listen to our own greedy hearts and do what we think is best for us rather than what God tells us is truly for our good. Come, we find ourselves saying, let's kill him and take his inheritance for ourselves. All these warnings from Jesus here are very real warnings for us, and I want us to hear them tonight. Questioning, why should I even listen to Jesus? Being more concerned with the thoughts of those around us than the truth of God. Saying one thing and failing to live it out. And of course, that greatest danger of all, completely rejecting what God wants to say to us. His right claim over his produce under our stewardship. His right claim over our whole lives. And so please, friends, hear those warnings. Consider them for yourself. Turn an ear to Jesus in belief and trust because that is the good and right response to who he is. Son of David, son of God, loving Lord of all. But I don't want to leave us there on that note because I think there is a lot more going on in this passage that is worth us noticing tonight. At this point, we've looked at all that stuff as it's been addressed to the chief priests and the scribes, these religious elite who have been hypocrites, practitioners of empty religion, conspirers against Jesus. But notice they aren't the only ones to hear these parables. Notice, if you will, where Jesus is. He's in the temple complex. He's surrounded by crowds whose very presence scares the religious leaders into wishy-washy answers. And in these parables, there's something for them too. Something wonderful, beautiful, and glorious. As Jesus rebukes the leaders up in that first parable, there's this incredible grace there announced to sinners. Tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you, Jesus says. And why? What could these rogues, these sinners, have done to deserve entry into the kingdom? They believed. They believed John as he declared the greatness of Jesus and in turn they listened to Jesus himself. They put their faith in him. They trusted him as the king God had sent. And we see that happening all through the earlier chapters of Matthew. Where the religious leaders question if Jesus is even worth listening to, those who did listen were welcomed into God's kingdom, into his family. That's the same offer that is, on, that is available for us when we listen rightly to the authoritative words of Jesus. But even more than that, did you notice in that second parable, the owner, he plants his vineyard as God plants his people and he does not for one second consider abandoning them or forgetting them. 
he doesn't just leave it to these farmers. He sends workers to gather what is his to himself. And even as they're rejected and beaten and killed, again, the owner, God, he doesn't throw his hands up and say, oh, well, I tried. He sends more. He desperately pursues the fruit of his vineyard, desperately pursues his people, despite any challenges and obstacles in his way. The second wave of workers, they're murdered as well, but the owner, but God sends his son in his deep desire to see those who are his brought back to him in an outrageous expression of pursuing love, he sends his very son. He is doing everything in his power to see the people that are his brought to himself. And yet in that story, the son is killed. And while in that parable alone, there is no hint of good coming from this death, if we continue on in Matthew's gospel, we'll see God's son taken not outside a vineyard, but outside the city of Jerusalem, where he will be beaten, mocked, scorned and killed. And while the death of the son will surely lead to judgment on those wicked men who killed him, we know that it did so much more. Just last chapter, after another vineyard parable, in fact, Jesus had said, Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. The fruit of God's vineyard will not be left in wicked hands, but through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God pays the penalty for every time we have turned our ears away from him. Every moment of avoiding the just and loving authority of God, every moment of falling prey to the persuasive voices of our world, every moment of listening to the inclinations of our own hearts that drive us anywhere but to God. All of that is dealt with at the cross of Christ so that we will not be the ones who stumble and fall on the stone. We will not be ones on whom that stone falls and grinds into dust. Because when we listen to Jesus, when we put that cornerstone in its right place as God's chosen King, as loving and gentle Lord of our lives, we are gladly welcomed into the kingdom of God for eternity. What a glorious, beautiful, wonderful reality. A truly magnificent voice to attend to. The authoritative voice of Jesus, the son of David, God's chosen king. More than that, God himself come in the flesh is always a voice worth listening to. It is a voice that rescues us from judgment, that brings us to God, welcomes us into his kingdom and family. With all the voices that vie for our attention in this world, listen to God as you read his word. Listen to good sermons, to faithful Christian podcasts. Fill your ears with good voices. And above all, dear brothers and sisters, listen to our Lord Jesus. Let's pray that we would do just that. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for our Lord Jesus, that he is worth listening to. Thank you that he is your authoritative king, and that as we listen to his voice, we are not abandoned or forsaken, 
We are welcomed into your kingdom and into your family forever. Father, we pray that you would help us to be good listeners to Jesus, not to say one thing and do another, but to follow uh, Jesus with all of our hearts and lives, that we would bring great honour and glory to him forevermore. Amen.